0: Good morning. Happy New Year. It's good to see you. My name is Eddie Cole, and I am a member here at West Shore. And uh, I was asked to preach by our pastor, Trent. And uh, he. Uh, I want to go ahead and tell you, you can pray for me. The reason I'm holding the handheld today is because I've had this same stuff, I think, that circulated over half of the population where I'm coughing and sneezing and the whole ball of wax. So I hope I don't do that on you uh, today. But just in case, I you know, you can't hide when you have a microphone like an inch from your mouth. So this one I can do like that. And that will be better for everybody. Uh, but anyway, I tried to tell Pastor Trent uh, that uh, I thought he needed to go ahead and cover since I'm going through this and he told me to man up. And then he said, I've got playoff games I've got to prepare for this afternoon. I can't be there for that. I'm just kidding. You know that, right? <laughs> I'm just kidding. He's down. He's going through some training arenas, or so he says, right now. Uh, as a pastor, it's good to be able to visit with people where they're working in the nursery. When I was a pastor in New York for almost 13 years, whenever I would have a guest preacher, I would I would typically take one of those services and go down and, See the people in the nursery who patiently waited while I took too long upstairs. So, um, I, I told him, I said, Trent, you don't even need to be in here. So, uh, anyway, I figured I would take a couple of shots at him while he's gone. That's what I do. So, uh, Second Corinthians chapter ten is the passage I have been assigned today, and um, I just want to say I love my my church and Jessica, my wife, is the uh, director of women's ministries here. And she has uh, really grown to uh, love the ladies and love the ministry here. And it's just been a a real joy for us to have this as our home church. My daughter Madison is here today also. (laughs) Love you. (laughs) So, all right, are you there? 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, my my brain has been a little cloudy, I'm not going to lie, I'm going to do my best, but in a minute we're going to read the scriptures and then we pray, and I'm really not kidding when I say, would you please pray for me that I could be clear and that I could say just what the Lord wants to be said in this hour. You didn't come today to hear a word from a man, well you did, but it's you came to hear the word of God through a man, and so I just I, I just want you in a minute to pray for me. Uh, the, the task I've been given is Second Corinthians chapter 10, and I'm, I'm continuing the series called Strength in Weakness, and that's the idea of the, the letter that Paul wrote, this second letter that we have in our Bibles, and uh, it's the most autobiographical letter that we have from the Apostle Paul. He really opens up his heart and shares it with them because there's a, there, there's a problem specifically that he's having to address with them. Every church has multiple problems. Uh, and the Corinthian church, um, if you read the first Corinthian letter, it had a lot of problems. But the second letter, he's specifically addressing a group of people who were coming in, who were in infiltrating the church, and they were questioning his authority. They were attacking him as a person. They were saying, look at him. He's he's this, he's that, he's not impressive. He's, they were leveling all kinds of accusations. And the reason they were doing that is because if you attack the shepherd, then the sheep scatter. And so Paul, out of love for the church, has to defend himself. And so what he's doing is in chapters 10 through 12, it's all one section. If you were to read it, we're not going to read all three chapters today. But if you were to put all that together, it's one big warning. It's him warning them, saying, please get ready. I'm about to come and visit you. But before I come and visit you, would you please prepare your hearts, get yourselves ready, and remember who I am? I'm the one that brought the gospel to you. My authority with you shouldn't be questioned. And I look forward to my time when I'm going to be there with you. I want to enjoy our fellowship, I want to encourage your faith. But I am going to come and we will have to confront some things. We're going to confront this problem. It's not a fun thing to have to do confrontation. I tell you, as a pastor, it's really not fun to do confrontation, but I don't think it's fun for anybody. Now, I don't think that that particular scenario is going to be uh, identifiable with that many people in here. I doubt many of you are pastors right now who need to go into a church and you need to straighten up a situation like the Apostle Paul does. I highly doubt that's going to apply, but I assure you, if you'll listen to the scriptures, and you'll, you'll think through this with me, and you'll let this apply to your heart, this is going to help you how to, how to go forward in 2017, even if you personally are under attack. How many of you have ever had a little adversity in your life? Stupid question, right? Every one of us. And so we know it's coming. We don't know how it's going to come. It could be financially, it could be physically, it could be one of a hundred different ways, but it's coming. How do you keep going forward spiritually when you're under attack? That's going to be the topic that we see uh, ourselves uh, addressing when we look at this. And we see Paul with a positive attitude moving forward into this situation and moving forward even when he's being attacked. I want you to read with me before we pray, verses 1 through 6. I, Paul... Myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am humble when I'm face to face with you, but bold toward you when I'm away. I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Would you pray with me? (coughs) Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for the privilege of being able to come together and worship, to open up your word, and to let you, by your spirit, speak into our hearts. Father, I just lay this before you today. There is no way that I can speak to a crowd this size, to every person here, but you can. And I pray in the mighty name of Jesus right now that you would put the enemy to flight and that you would speak to every person here wherever they are. Prepare them to walk out of here in freedom and in confidence, knowing that they can move forward no matter what's coming against them. Lord, for those who don't know you, I pray this morning that they would come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. I pray you would change their hearts and change their lives from this day forward. Give them freedom. Give them forgiveness. Give them peace and joy. Lord, I pray right now that you would let me say only what you want to be said. Lord, what I've planned that you don't want me to say, God, I just lay it before you. Holy Spirit, come, guide this time. We pray in Jesus' holy name, amen. Amen. I remember when I was a pastor in New York, I was uh, good friends with a pastor in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. I pastored on the north shore of Staten Island for almost 13 years. My friend's name was Brian. Brian was in his uh, early to mid-50s. Brian was a beast of a man. Uh, He's probably about 6'2", 6'3", just muscle, just muscle, head to toe. The guy was just a big guy. Before Brian became a pastor and planted a church in Brooklyn, he was known for other things. He was a world champion kickboxer. Not only was he a world champion kickboxer, he used to get into a lot of fights on the street and street legend kind of has it that he was kind of the baddest dude in Bay Ridge. I, I tend to believe that because my wife could testify to this. He's the kind of person that when you go into a restaurant with him, they'll clear out a table and get him in there quickly and they'll bring out the desserts on the house. I tend to think Brian is, you know, he has some street cred in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. Um, well, Brian is a, a good, godly man, a good, godly pastor now, but we're having a conversation. That's his background. I give you all that for a purpose, because as he was sharing with me this one day when we're having coffee, he's sharing with me about life and ministry. Tell telling me what's going on. He tells me, you know, things are going good. Praise God. You know, people are being saved. Um, You know, we're teaching classes. People are interested in theology. He loves theology. He's telling me the good things. He's like, but we're, you know, everything's not perfect. We've got a couple of situations. There's this one guy that's really, you know, he says, he's really coming against us, Ed. It's real pain. I said, tell me about it. He's like, well, it's just kind of personal. We've known this guy for years, and his his attacks are personal. He's coming against me. He's kind of come against my wife. It's coming against the leaders now I said so this guy's known you for years he, said, he says Ed I've known this guy from before we were in the faith and as he tells the story I'm sitting here thinking knowing that this guy knew Brian back then and that he knows Brian now when Brian finished his talking I just said this guy is an idiot I was like does he not know that you could backslide real quick there and, like, really pinch his head off of his body? This is a bad situation. Now, I grew up in East Tennessee. My pastor used to say, I always carry my handgun in my glove box just in case my guardian angel is on coffee break and something happens. And he used to, you know, say little jokes like that. But I, when I was sitting there listening, you know, I, I really did think. And I actually said to Brian, I said, Brian, this guy's taking advantage of the fact that he knows you're who you were and who you are now. And he said, I, it doesn't matter, Ed. I said, you mean to tell me you don't want to just like take him outside and talk to him? And he said, no, I really don't. I was like, no, really, you want to take him outside, don't you? And you want to talk to him? No, Ed, I really don't. I was like, what do you you feel, anger? He's like, not at all. He said, I feel sadness. He's like, the guy doesn't understand. He's not just attacking me, my wife. He's attacking the church. He's attacking the word of God. I was just like, wow. To be honest with you, I was thinking, man, if somebody attacks my wife or my daughter, I, I hope I respond the same. There's another guy that I heard about that I haven't met. I've met him through through reading his letters. It's the one we're reading his letter today. It's the Apostle Paul. The earliest writings about the Apostle Paul say this about him as far as describing him. He was nothing like Brian. The Apostle Paul was a man who was a pastoral type. He was older, small in stature, more like me than Brian had a bald head, crooked legs, good a good body, healthy. He had eyebrows meeting, he had a unibrow. Makes me think of the basketball player Anthony Davis. The brow they call him. And a hooked nose. That was the apostle Paul. They said that he was unadorned in his speaking and he was a very humble man. When he approached you, he didn't walk in the room and take over the room. He just was very humble and very meek. Now, I think about Paul and I think about Brian. Now, Brian is meek in that he could physically do a lot of damage, but chooses instead to love the person that's attacking. The Apostle Paul, in this passage of Scripture that we're reading here today, instead of responding and reaching out in anger and and going tit for tat and, and throwing verbal bombs at people... Uh, that are in the church that, that are buying into some of these lies that are coming from these outside false apostles. He's just lovingly correcting them. He's meek. He has the authority of the Lord given to him as an apostle. This is a guy that cast out demons. This is a guy that when he walked into a room could by the power of his intellect... And just knowing what to say and in the power of the Holy Spirit could turn any room that fast into a riot or a revival. Nobody was indifferent when the Apostle Paul spoke. But it wasn't because of his his charisma. It wasn't because of the way he presented himself or the power that was in his body. He was just a powerful man. But he was meek and he was humble. And Paul had this attack coming against him. For him, it was very personal. Now, I want you to know what he's fighting here and what he's dealing with is cultural. And then it becomes local to the church, and then it becomes personal. In those layers, I want you to think with me for just a second because that's the way it is. There's a culture. He lives in the Greek kind of culture where the, the value of the day is strength in the image you you stand up straight you puff your chest out the people that are coming in they're coming in with their letters of recommendation this person is saying this about them this one is coming there they've got their academic pedigree they can they can trace their lineage back so far there's pride there's pomp Success. You want to be recognized if you want to be heard. You want to be a person who's known. If you want to command the attention of the people, you need to show them why you deserve their attention. And meekness and humility is not really how you do that. That's in the culture of the day. It's there. It's materialistic. There are all kinds of religions there, but the idea is is that the smile of God is on you if you're strong, or the smile of the gods are on you, if you're strong and if you're mighty and you command something. And here's Paul. He just kind of, with his bow-legged, big-nosed, unibrowed self, walks in. He deals with things a different way. He's dealing with a culture, and that culture has come into the church. It's always in the church. It's in this church. We can't help but think like the world outside. We can't even help it. We're very materialistic, are we not? Somebody say amen. Because we are. The thing about culture is that it's the oxygen you breathe. You don't even know how American you are until you leave America and go somewhere else. It's just that way. We, there's a cultural mindset. There are cultural values, cultural things that, that shape the way people think, the way that they act. If you want to change the way people act, you've got to change the way they think. In order to do that, you have to address values and systems. So there's cultural stuff that Paul is having to battle with, but there's also... The stuff that's there local to the church, it's in the church. And then personally, it's now coming against Paul. They're using him and his presentation against him. You're coming in in your your humility. You're not putting on a show. You're doing things with simplicity and sincerity. And they're using that against him. You see the other, the false teachers are coming in and they're coming in with their, with their presentation. They're coming in with their, with their pride and they're coming in with their polish. And the apostle Paul comes in with simplicity and sincerity. And what Paul is doing is he's representing the Lord Jesus Christ because that's how Jesus came. Paul was a brilliant man could rip the shreds almost anyone in a philosophical or theological debate, but chose to preach the pure and simple gospel. When he was with them the first time, in his, in his first letter, he wrote after he had left them, he says, when I was with you, I did not come using the persuasive words of human wisdom, but when I was with you, I came in demonstration and power of the Holy Spirit, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. He came to them preaching a pure and simple gospel, preaching Christ crucified, buried, and risen. He just preached Christ unadorned. He wasn't trying to tear down. He was simply trying to exalt Jesus. And he let Jesus do the work. Now, as he's writing them in the letter that we have before us today, in 2 Corinthians, he's writing to them saying, I don't want to have to do battle with you when I come. And he's writing specifically to the ones in the church. He says, I, I look at verse 1, 2 Corinthians 10, I entreat you. What he's saying is, I'm asking you, please. Please. By the meekness and gentleness of Christ. And then he kind of gives a parenthesis here. They, The ones who are accusing him say, I'm the one who's humble, who's with you face to face, but I'm bold with you when I'm away. That's what they've accused him of. He says, I'm begging you. He even plays into it. They talk about me being weak when I'm with you and bold when I'm away. He said, I'm away from you right now and I'm begging you. I'm begging you. Excuse me. It's lovely, I know. I'm begging you that you would go ahead and do this so that when I'm with you, I don't have to deal with you in boldness like I'm going to have to do with those who are there opposing me. That's what he says in verse 2. He loves these people. I want to show you how much he loves them. If you look through some of the verses, you'll see here in verse 2, he's I I entreat you, I beg you. If you look down in verse 8, or look down in verse 6 that we just read a minute ago. He says, when I come, I, I, I want to come and I, de- I want you to be obedient so that I don't have to deal with you as those who are disobedient. Because when I come, you're either going to be with them or you're going to be with me and I'm going to do battle one way or another. I want you to be with me. He says in verse 8, he says, I've been given authority. My authority is from the Lord and my authority is given for building you up and not destroying you. As he ends this letter, in, in chapter 13, he says, your restoration is what I pray for. He says, it's for this reason that I write the things I'm, while I'm away from you, so that when I come, I don't have to be severe in my use of the authority that I have. My authority is for building you up, not tearing you down. He says in chapter 11, verse 2, listen to this. This is the heart of somebody who loves his people. Here's what he says, 2 Corinthians 11 Verse two, he says, "I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you." Let me give you an idea what that means. There, I, when I was in New York, I learned that there are still cultures today, like in India, where parents arrange marriages for their children. That still happens. I didn't know that still happened until I moved to New York, and I was I was educated there. What Paul's saying is, I've arranged you to be set with Jesus, I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I'm afraid that as a serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will lead you away from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. You see, what he's saying is he's saying, I've given you, I've introduced you to the highest and most perfect relationship you could possibly have. And that's with Jesus. He is the most perfect human That has ever lived. He's God in humanity. He is God in flesh. He's the only one who will love you constantly in spite of yourself. Who has proven that. I set you apart for him. I did not come and make myself the center of your world. When I was with you, I ministered to you so that you would be set upon Jesus. And what he said to them was, he says, I I want you even now to have your affection set on Jesus. That's how you know somebody loves you, by the way. It's when they're not demanding that they be the center of your world, but that Jesus is the center of your world. Young ladies, how many college age, how many unmarried young college ladies are in here? Raise your hand real high for me. Let me tell you, um, that knucklehead that's going to propose to you one day, the only way you need to marry him is if he's pointing you to Jesus. If he... Really, here's real love. Watch this now. Real love is when he doesn't have to be your idol or your God. Because he can never be that for you. There's only one that can, and that's Jesus. There's my mini-sermon. Didn't get it in the first sermon. Maybe that's because my daughter's in this one. I'm not really sure. Nevertheless, got to take those parenting opportunities, do we not? So... Paul's saying, I set you up for this relationship with Jesus. It is a singular, sim- simple, burning desire that I want you to have for Jesus. And that's the only thing that's going to that's keep you through and keep you going forward every single day. Because Jesus is the only one on planet earth who will never let you down. You have to live that by faith, but it's real. It's real, it's just as real as the air that you breathe and the ground that you walk on. And I set you, now Eve was deceived by the, by the enemy and, I, and I'm afraid that the enemy is trying to pull you, my, my church, he's saying I'm, I'm, a, I'm afraid that he's trying to pull you away from Jesus and the will and the work of God just like the enemy did with Eve back in the garden. I don't want that for you, I love you, I love you. I love you. That's what he's saying to them. I love you. I want you to love Jesus and have a simple, singular, burning passion for Jesus. And right now, you've got some people who are in your midst who are pulling you away from that. And I'm going to deal with that. I'm going to deal with it severely. Now, here's where the, where the change takes place. How many of you are glad the election season is over? Thank God. We have a new list of nominees coming in for cabinet picks. The one that's, nom- that's nominated to be the Secretary of Defense is Mad Dog Mattis. James Mattis, I heard an hoorah, some Marines in the room. He's a four-star general. He was speaking to some Marines getting ready to go into Fallujah in Iraq, and as he was speaking with them, he was preparing them, saying the insurgents are blending among the non-combatant civilians, and you won't know the difference. So never, ever let your guard down. You'll think that they're your friend, but they're your foe. Keep your guard up at all times. And he says to them, he says, Be polite, be professional, and have a plan to kill everybody you meet. Pretty good quote, isn't it? Be polite, be professional, and have a plan to kill everybody you meet. Let's pray. That's what we want to walk away with today. Well, what he's saying kind of applies to where the Apostle Paul is in Corinth. He's saying, I love you. I love you with all my heart. I want peace with you. But there is a war going on, and I plan to deal with it. Look with me down here in verse 3. I just want you to know the bulk of my message is going to be spent on the first point. The second two we'll just kind of read. And this first point is this. Love people, but reject bad thinking. How in the world do you keep moving forward when you're under attack? Love people, but reject bad thinking. The Apostle Paul in this verse and in these few verses shows that we're talking about a spiritual battle, not a personal battle. He says in verse 3, for though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. In other words, swords, spears, those kind of things, they won't win these battles back, day, back then. Those were the, the weapons they used. He says in verse 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they do have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments in every lofty opinion, every lofty thing that's raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Let me kind of play this out for you. What he's saying there, when he says uses the word warfare, he's using a word there that has to do with a campaign. What that means is it's larger than just what's going on here. This is not just a, a little personal conflict that Paul's having with a few guys in Corinth. This is, an, this is a cosmic battle. It's a universal It's global anyway, and it is immaterial, it's invisible. You can't see it, but you can see its effects, and it's going on right now. He says there is a battle that's going on, and I'm going to fight it, and he's very confident we're going to win, because the weapons that I use in this campaign are the weapons of God, and that word there where he talks about divine power, it's dunamis, it's dynamite. Now, I wish I could tell you what this looked like. Let me, let me not get ahead of myself. Warfare, the campaign, is a spiritual one. As a matter of fact, before I even jump any further, Ephesians 6, verse 12, when Apostle Paul's talking to Ephesian believers, trying to tell them to get ready, and I would encourage every one of you to read Ephesians 6, and don't focus on spiritual warfare, focus on the Lord, but know that there's such a thing as spiritual warfare. And the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 6, 12, he says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's the stronghold stuff. That's the big stuff. That's the cultural stuff that he's talking about. There's a campaign going on. There's a real battle that's going on. And here he says, uh, we fight this battle, but we have weapons, and our weapons are able to tear down and destroy every stronghold and every tower, and then essentially to go in and all those that are inside to bring them captive. That's a picture of a siege. Now think about this with me. You can Google this later. Don't, Don't Google it now. I know some of you are going to Google it right now as soon as I say it. But the Acro-Corinth was a stronghold that every Corinthian knew about because it looked like a mountain. Up outside of Corinth, it looked like a mountain that had a big fortress around it. It's like a wall. Think of the Great Wall of China around a, a mountain like the size of where we ski over here. What's it called? Round Top. So think about that, a little smaller than that, with the Great Wall of China around it, with some towers there. And what the Apostle Paul is saying is that we have within our power from God the kind of weaponry that allows us to go in and to penetrate and destroy the impenetrable. You think that we can't win. You think this is a battle that we can't win. But what I'm telling you is that we always win. So when I come to be with you, I want you to be ready so that you're on the right side of this battle. I don't want to fight against you. I want to fight with you. And right now I'm fighting for you. Now let me make make a point of application here before we go. Because here's where this, Paul's talking about a battle that is a spiritual battle. It involves a culture. It involves a church. But when he says, take every thought captive. Can I just tell you that you and I both know that every thought we have is not from God? And what you and I need to discipline ourselves to do is to know that there are cultural thoughts. And by the way, they could be religious cultural thoughts as well as irreligious cultural thoughts. But we take anything that is not from God, we take those things that are values of the culture around us, and they're not from God, we destroy them. We say, I won't build my life on that. And I recognize any other kind of uh, consequential thought that comes from that. A religious mindset says, I've got to work my way to God. And so if you have a religious mindset, you live every day saying, so i got to be good in order to please God and for God to be pleased in me. And you can go to bed every single day feeling like an utter failure like that. Feeling like you never please God. That is religion. But that is not the message of Jesus Christ. He has proven his smile by coming to die for those who could never save themselves, who would never be good enough. So if you have that religious thinking that constantly accuses you and tells you how bad you are, recognize that, those thoughts that come into your mind. You have a religious mindset, but not a mindset that's built on a relationship with Jesus. Tear that down and take those thoughts captive. In your mind when they come in, God doesn't want to hear you. God doesn't love you. God could never forgive you. Are you with me? Say amen if you're with me. There are many other ones, other different ways we could approach this, but I just felt led to share that one with you. Know and love people, but recognize recognize there's a war going on. Love people, but reject bad thinking. I don't care if it's your family, your church, your school, whatever it is, our culture. There's so many values that our culture holds to and lifts up certain things and says, this is success, this is going to make a good life. So many things that are communicated to us that are just simply not true. And you know what you need to do? You need to take those thoughts captive. When they start to go into your mind and heart, you know what you need to do? You need to say, that's not from God, and what do you do? To take something captive means you put it in handcuffs and you lead it out. And so what I'm telling you to do is to start thinking about how you think and start changing the way that you think and make sure that your thoughts line up with the Word of God. Are you with me so far? Say amen. Love people, but reject bad thinking. This year, love people no matter what, no matter how much they disagree with you. No matter how much trouble you're getting here and there, but reject bad thinking. Secondly, in these, this, these final two, I basically just want to read to you and then share an illustration to help you apply this. In verses 7 through 12, in 2 Corinthians 10, the Apostle Paul writes this. He says, then look at what is before your eyes. If anyone's confident that he is Christ's, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ, so also are we. For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not destroying you, I'm not going to be ashamed. I don't want to to appear to be frightening you with my letters. That's not my ambition. For they say his letters are weighty and strong, his bodily presence is weak, his speech is of no account. He says, let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves. (coughs) but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. The second point I wanted to give you, and just want to read it to you, is know your calling and resist foolish competitiveness. How many of you ever compare yourself to somebody else? Somebody's always better, aren't they? A little bit thinner, a little bit smarter, a little bit Better. Even in church, we do these things. How many of you know just as well as you think those thoughts that they're just wrong? We should learn from one another and we should help from, help one another, but we should never compare ourselves to one another. Apostle Paul says it's just foolish. When you, when you do that, it's just foolishness. There's a quote that I heard a while back. It said, don't compare your um, your deleted files, your your... Your messed up stuff to somebody else's highlight reels. Don't compare yourself to other people. Just commit to keep your eyes on Jesus. Know what he wants you to do and move forward. No matter how stiff the wind is, no matter how many times you fall down, keep moving forward. That's what Paul's doing. He's saying, I'm not comparing myself to anybody. I'm going forward. It's foolishness. Verse 13, the third and final point is this. Serve God and rest in his commendation. Paul says, but we're not going to boast beyond limits. But we're going to boast only with regard (coughs) to the area of influence God has assigned to us to reach even to you. For we're not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you. For we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others. But our hope is that your faith increases. as, As your faith increases, our area of influence may be greatly enlarged so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you, without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence. Here's Paul saying to them, we don't own you, and for that matter, our greatest joy would be that you would be so strong, you no longer needed us, and we could just move forward. He says, let one who boasts, verse 17, boast in the Lord, for it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Final point, serve God and rest in his commendation. Ladies and gentlemen, make the Lord's love for you all the commendation you need. If you know the Lord Jesus, know this. You are already covered in his righteousness. When the Father looks at you, he sees his son Jesus. He already loves you. He commends you. Love him. Serve Him. Continue to serve Him no matter what. And here's what you can know. You can know in the end you'll hear Him say this. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. And isn't that really all that matters? Are you still awake? Say amen if you are. Listen, I'm up here preaching with a bad cold. I'm trying to hide everything coming out of my face. So... Now I'm getting the sympathy. Sorry about that. If you serve Jesus and you make Jesus the, the center of your life, here's what you can know every single day, He doesn't change, His love is perfect. The only way you should, the only one adequate to judge someone else is someone who knows that other person absolutely perfectly, and you don't. You don't even know yourself, nor do I know myself absolutely perfectly. And he loves me, and he knows my warts, my flaws. He knows the worst about me, and he loves me anyway. It's a crazy kind of love. It's absolutely amazing. I should rest in his commendation, not compare myself to other people and not tear down other people. But I want you to know this. The other takeaway you need to get here is the power the power that you have as a child of God to win the battle. Amen. Tearing down strongholds and winning. Listen, I, I, my time is out and I'm finished. But I want to share this illustration with you. I was at uh, at the church and there was a, a graduation party and I was sitting here talking to a man named Neil. We've been talking for a little while. He's a great guy. He could carry on a conversation with a tree. This guy was just one of those easy to talk to kind of guys. He's getting in the conversation. Oh, you're the pastor? Yeah. He's like, Oh, you didn't tell me you were the reverend. I was like, Well, I don't typically get called reverend. And he says, Well, you know, I, I'm I'm pretty, you know, I like, I'm pretty spiritual myself. I. You know, and he starts talking about his experiences. I, I've traveled the world, and he's seen all these different religions. And he's like, I, I really like Jesus. You know, I really like this Jesus. I, I could even say that I love Jesus. I said, really? I said, yeah. I said, so, so I was a little confused with all this religious talk and all the other religions. And I said to him, I said, uh, I said, so where do you stand with Jesus? He's like, well, I think Jesus is one among many ways to get to heaven. I said, really? I said, okay, so now I know what I'm working with. I said, Well, Neil, you know, Jesus didn't really give you the the freedom to think that. And he said, What do you mean? I said, Well, Jesus himself said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. And he was like, Wow. I was like, Yeah, that's well, that's what he said. And he says, Well, I don't know, you know, I don't know what to do with that. And I was like, Well, you know, he said, I think Jesus was, you know, he's, he's a good man, a good teacher, a great example. I said, but now think about that for just a minute. Now I'm pulling out some C.S. Lewis, Apologetics 101 here. You know, he's either liar, lunatic, or Lord. Uh, you know, and I'm just pulling this out. And then and then he starts going through, I don't know, you know, he's talking about the crusades. You know, everybody throws out the crusades. And then there's evil, and then there's pain and suffering. And I'm just giving him every, like, first level apologetics thing I, I know, and you know, and he's like, wow. He's, then he starts, and then he's telling me, like, wow, you know. I was like, Neil, you should probably think about this more. You should really put a little more thought into it. And then he reveals to me, he's like, you know, I've got a good education. I, I've got an MBA from Harvard, and I've traveled the world, built a good business. i traveled the world. I'm just sitting here now, in my mind, as soon as he said MBA from Harvard, I'm an East Tennessee hillbilly. Immediately, I'm thinking, you should have started there. But I'm glad he didn't, because I don't know how far I would have gone into that conversation. I would have been intimidated, and that's just the truth. But he finishes, and he was very cordial. I said, Neil, I said, let me just tell you, I can't answer all your questions, but here's what I know. When I was a little boy, I saw God change my dad, and he gave me a new dad. Changed his heart. Gave me a new dad. I said, I, I grew up around that, and then when I became an adult, God changed my heart. God captured me. And I said, Neil, I just, and so I shared my testimony with him. And I was looking at him. And this guy, who's just so charismatic, so big smile on his face, gets tears in his eyes. As he's just sitting there listening to me. Now, I would love to be able to tell you. And then I've led him to the Lord. I didn't. At least I didn't pray with him. But, you know, he just stopped. He said, I have really enjoyed talking with you. Thank you. He says, I'm not sure I'm there at that point of faith. But with tears in his eyes, he says, you've made made an impact on me today. I'm sitting there thinking, that's the power of the gospel. To take a guy with an MBA from Harvard who's brilliant and, and successful and educated and is mighty in the eyes of the world. And God humbled him with the testimony of a hillbilly. And the spoken gospel. And here's me. I just feel like I'm on a, on a peer level with a guy that I know whose IQ is substantially higher. God exalts the humble. And he humbles the mighty. Trust in the Lord's word. Stand on his word. Don't quit praying. Keep your faith. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep practicing the faith. And you'll move forward no matter what attack you're in this year. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for this day. Thank you for the privilege of being able to get in your word. And Lord, as we turn now to the Lord's table, we thank you that we get to reflect on the body and the blood of Jesus that was broken and shed on our behalf. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for leaving your glory and taking on humility so that we might be saved. What a great example and what a great Savior you are. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.